leading us in worship, not up here performing, putting on a show, but leading us in worship. What a great song to introduce our, our, our topic this morning. And, and just as we're finishing up that song, I'm thinking about Jesus. We, we turn our eyes toward you. If we would just do that, man, the problems in life go away when we get our eyes on Jesus. Amen. But, but too often we get our eyes off of Jesus and we get our eyes on the problem and all of a sudden the problem gets bigger and bigger and bigger and God gets smaller and smaller and smaller in our eyes. It, now he doesn't get any smaller, but in our eyes and our thinking and our faith, it does because all of a sudden we're focused on the problem and the problem gets bigger. We need to turn our eyes to Jesus when we focus on him and we see how big and how mighty. I used to love it when we would pray as kids. We actually pray. I'm old enough. I glory in it these days. I got beard, got gray in my beard, so I can glory in it now. Um, I'm old enough that I can remember when we still prayed in school. And I don't know if it was for, I don't know if we did in the first grade, but I know in kindergarten we got our plates at lunch and we came through and we set them down on the table and you couldn't sit down till everybody was around the table and we had prayer. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Bow our heads. I don't know what else, but I know we <laughs> ate after we finished that. So uh, I knew the first part, but you always wondered about that. God is great. God is good. What? So if he's great, why are you talking about one talks about his, his majesty and his glory and his size. The other speaks to his character. God is great. He is incredible. He is awesome. He, I mean, we use the word awesome about pizza. We need to think about how we use the word awesome. It's like love. We talk about love. Well, what do you mean by love? Well, I, I love my wife, but you know, we love our dog. It's not the same. I love tacos, man, and I love, it's not the same. So we have to be careful how we use the word, but we use the word awesome. We throw it around and, and, and it, we've diminished what that word means. But God is awesome. Amen. All this other stuff is okay. Oh, man, that's so awesome. Now, really? It's really not. Get your eyes on Jesus. Get your eyes on Jesus. So as we, we're, we're, we're into this series, we've just launched the series. We started last week, and the, and the series is when God asks us why. That's our series, when God asks us why. Psalm 50 verse 21 says, the latter part of that verse says, you thought that I was altogether like you. I talked about this last week. We've got this idea that God is like us. We create these images of God. Really, we create idols. We've created idols or false gods. You know, if you look in a mirror and, you know, if your God is okay with everything you do and, and your God likes all that you like, doesn't like all that you like, you're probably just looking in the mirror and you are your own God. You've created an idol. And, and see, what we've done is we think God is altogether like us. And so here's what happens. Because of that line of thinking, when God doesn't do what we think, he should do because we think he's like us. Praise God. He's not like us. Amen. It's a good thing for all of us. I'm not. I don't get to say because we wouldn't be here anymore. There'd be times I just, we're done. But when it doesn't go the way we think it should go, um, then we, we get mad. We ask God, why? We get, we, why? I've never heard anybody, now I don't play the lottery. But I've never heard a lottery winner go, Why, God, why did you let me win this? They might five years from then when their life's in turmoil. 
and they're in, but you know, you walk around, you find a $20 bill on the sidewalk. You say, praise God, God's so good. You don't go, why God, why did you, but you let something go away. We don't like, or the way we, we thought it shouldn't go. And all of a sudden we're shaking our fist at God and we're asking him why that's the idea of this series. We're going to flip it around. And when God asks us why, and there's a lot of questions in scripture, he asks us. And we looked last week at when God asked us, you know, why are you so fearful? And we looked at that. We looked at it in the boat when Jesus is asleep and the storm raging and the, the disciples come and, and Lord, carest thou not that we perish? You know, he, they, they've already gone to you don't care because you're asleep and you're not paying attention to us and you haven't helped us and we're dying here. We go to that. We go to the worst almost always. That's our nature. We just go to the worst thing and then we, we accuse God of you don't care because you didn't do what I thought you should do. So God's flipping the script on us. He said, all right, all right, fellas, ladies, let me ask y'all some whys. And that's what we're going to look at. But here's what we've got to do. We've got to learn as we go through this series, we've got to learn to see things from God's perspective. Now I'm going to share three slides with you and I want you to... I want you to Hopefully, we'll get an idea of what I'm talking about with perspective, okay? Let's put the first picture up. I mean, it's really sad. When you see that picture, it's just a sad picture. When you see this little girl and you think, you know, I don't know, she's five, six years old, maybe seven, I don't know. And you see this girl with these, these, her, her special legs. I mean, it's just terrible. It's sad. It's a sad picture when you see that. Let's go to the second slide. You know, you get a little closer and you see, all right, man, that's still sad. I mean, it's, wait a minute. Go to the third picture. Can you tell what that is? It's a bag of popcorn. Now go back to the first picture. Now do you see it? See, when you first see that, you go, oh, that is so terrible. I saw that picture. I went, oh, that is horrible. Man, why is somebody putting that picture there? It's terrible. Until you get to looking at it, and when you, when you get it from the right perspective, and you see, wait, wait. That's not her legs aren't deformed. She doesn't have a problem with her legs. She is holding a bag of popcorn right there, and it blends in, okay? So you got an idea of what I talk about with perspective. We see things a certain way because we look at it from our perspective. And what I hope we'll do in the, in, through this series is we're gonna, we, what we really should do when we read Scripture is see it from God's perspective. And that's what we're going to try to do is flip that so that we see it from God's perspective. So like last week we talked about, you know, there again, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he gets up and he says, why are you so fearful? Why are you guys so fearful? But really, you know, he really was asking more than simply why are you so fearful? Because in their situation, they thought we're going to die. That's what they thought. We're going to die, Lord, and you don't even care. And so the question really there to build on what we were talking about last week is he's really asking the question, why are you so fearful of death? I mean, even if you died in this boat, if it, if it, I'm with you here, I know what's going on. Why are you so fearful of death? I'm in the boat with you guys. That's the question for us today. And we'll probably be here for a couple of weeks. Why are you so fearful of death? Um, there's a lot of phobias. Amen. Anybody got a phobia here? Anybody got some phobias? We got some phobias. So first one, put, put this first phobia up. All right, so thanatophobia. Thanatophobia. It's, who, who, said, who said what? What? 
Death. You're right. It is. You're exactly right. It's the fear of death. So thanatophobia phobia is the fear of death. And, and you know what? We, we have a lot of people that have the fear of death. There's, there's some others. I want to look at some of these. I, look at this. I got a list. This is phobias. This is how messed up we are today. So this is the front. That's the back. I'm on a third page. This is a list of 100, not of all. This isn't an exhaustive list. This is the top 100. This is like going Casey Kasem. Doing a, uh, number three this week, we've got arachnophobia. Um, we've got the top 100 phobias right here. So there, there's another. What's the next one? Let's look at some of these others. There's bathophobia. And that's, that's for these people. That you, you've been on a bus with them and you, you go, man, come on. Yeah. yeah. No, no, that's not what it means. Bathophobia actually means fear of depths. Now, you may not realize you have that. I think I have that. I can't verify it other than when I think of diving. I see movies where they, they're out in the middle of the ocean and they dive in to swim in the ocean. I, I go, no, you're crazy. That freaks me out. I can swim in a pool. I'm a good swimmer. I like scuba diving, all that. I wouldn't mind diving to 100 feet. But to swim and to know, I don't know how deep it is in there. Crater Lake in Oregon, I'd love to, I want to see Crater Lake. But the thought, it makes me kind of, when I think of getting out in that water, there's something about that. So when I'm reading this, I'm going, I think I got that. I got this fear of depths. All right, let's look at the next one. Ergophobia. Now, this is a fear that a whole lot of people in America have today. Anybody got any ideas? Ergophobia, what's it mean? Fear of, fear of work. I can't do that. It'll kill me. No, there, there really is. There's this, it's like we have this fear of work today in our country. Because, man, if I break a sweat, you know, really, I mean, I've never done that. It, could, it really could kill me. I don't know if my heart rate got up. I don't, so there's a fear of work. All right, so what's the next, the next one? We've got a couple more here. This one's neat. All right, so check this out. Now, this is real. This is real. Hippopotamonstrosesquipedaliophobia. I just butchered that. I practiced it, and I butchered it. I mean, I went online and said, how do you pronounce this word? And listen, and listen, and listen. All right, I knew I wasn't going to get it. Any ideas what that might be? Ooh, you're not, that's not it, but that's a good guess. That's a, it's fear of pronunciation. No, it's not that either. Here's what it is, though. Look at, look at. You go, no, that can't be real. But no, it's real. It even says here, yep, this is a real thing. So you get the longest word possible. You know, I found out that there's a word that has like, um, there's so many characters, it takes you, it would take hours. No, it might take days to pronounce it if you pronounced it right and going through it. I'm like, all right, that's ridiculous. That's just stupid now. So fear of long words, I may have that a little bit too because I come up with words and I go, I don't want to say that right now. I don't even want to try to say it. But it's fear of long words. That's a real thing. Next one. Phobophobia. Fear of fear. Yeah, it is. It's a fear of fear or fear of being afraid. So there are people who are like, no, no, I might, you know, that wouldn't be a good, I might get scared. 
You know, I'm not going to the zoo. I might get scared. I'm not going to go to the, in the arachnid. I'm not going in the arachnid section of the zoo. I'm not going to see. I might get scared. So there's a fear of being afraid, of being. It's a fear of fear. I don't like the way that feels, so I'm going to avoid it. And there's, they're just afraid of that. Um, so phobia, phobophobia is a real thing. And I think this is the last one, is um, panophobia. Exactly. Exactly. Fear of everything. And there are people that have that. They're just fearful of everything. Everything is a reason to be scared. You know, I wasn't scared of that until you mentioned it. Now I've got something else to worry about. <laughs> so that's kind of, and, it, and we, we can joke and laugh about that. But it's a sad thing because a lot of this is driven by really some emotional issues, some mental issues that, that, that I mean, everybody's got some phobias. Anybody got one you, I mean, anybody in here got something you just go, Anybody scared of driving over bridges? That hand went up quick. Yeah. yeah. You, you, you've told me about the bridge over there. In Skyway. Skyway Bridge. And I haven't seen it, but I imagine it would bother me because there's a bridge going in Cincinnati up there, and it goes way up, you know, and I'm like this as I go over it. And so it's a good thing I drive it because Gina goes, nope, I ain't doing it. You got it, big boy. That's on you. So there's, a, there's phobias. We all have some phobias. Anybody scared of the dark? All the guys raise their hand. Scared of telling the truth. That's what it is. He's, he's scared of peer pressure. He's afraid somebody would be, look down. Oh, no, no, that's good. But there's, there's a whole lot of phobias. All right. So, so then, then I, I went a little further and I looked at what are, the, what are we afraid of. And this is like the top 10 in America. Let's look at, put that graph up there. No, don't have it? You don't have my graph? All right, so here's my graph. Y'all see that? And you can y'all read the first one, right? You know what that is. I'll tell you what it says. So I'm looking at these top, these top 10, and, and fear of death's not on here. It, it's not on here. It's not in this list of top 10s, but public speaking is number one. Fear of public speaking. So a lot of you go, hey, I'll do anything. You want me to clean a bathroom? Great. I am not teaching a class. I'm not. It, it, we understand that. There's a fear of public speaking. I have that fear. And y'all go, yeah, whatever. I tell people I'm shy. Shy may not be the right word. Reserved is maybe the right word. I am very reserved when I first get to know people. I'm very careful with letting myself out there. Like Trish, a lot, very reserved. I would even say Trish is probably very shy and introverted and... And, and so she and I are a lot alike, but no, really, I do. I have that fear, and that's why I go, man, God, you've got a sense of humor. What a sense of humor you have because you call me to preach. You, you made me the way I am, and then you call me to preach and to teach, and so I get nervous every Sunday and, and before Wednesday nights, and there's just that nervous energy. But public speaking is number one. Death's not even on here, which means more people would rather be the guy in the box than the guy giving the eulogy. That, that's what that means. You, you go, uh, have I got a choice? You want me to? No, no. I, let me. I'll take that. I'll take that spot. There's a fear of heights. A second. Anybody got that? Okay. A lot of people have that. I think, I think some people, like for me, I don't, I'm not scared of heights, but when I get up there, I get vertigo. And I've realized it's a vertigo issue. And if you're like this and you're up 30 feet, it's kind of hard not to be afraid something's going to happen. So I get that. Heights, bugs and snakes. Bugs. Oh, somebody just had a real, what? Snakes? Bugs. Bugs. 
We had a lady in Indiana that I could, I, I could mess with her with the grasshoppers. She hated grasshoppers, and her husband always talked about she made the bug noise. And if we got close to her with the bug, she'd start... It was just she couldn't control it. So it, 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 was, it was funny. And so I had, I had you know, you, you don't let a, a preacher know those things because there's opportunity, and it's going to happen, and it did. Um, bugs and snakes drowning by fearful drowning. I, I, we were talking about ways of dying. You know, we were talking about fear of dying. And, and uh, I said, man, I'd rather... Somebody said, I don't want to drown. I, was, I don't want to drown. I'm like, when I've read, drowning is kind of an easy way to go. You know, you get that first gulp and you just kind of go out. But, I mean, my fear would be like being in a car wreck and the car be on fire or something. That would be horrid. horrid. I, don't want to, I don't want that. But drowning is, is up there. Uh, blood or needles, fear of blood or needles. Uh, claustrophobia. There are people who used to be fearful that they would... They would die and get buried and then wake up. And, I mean, people had a fear of that. There was that so that's claustrophobia. Flying. I know, I know the Malcolm family, they have a fear of flying. They, <laughs> they have a fear of not flying, I think is what it is. So, they, that, you know, fear of flying, people that don't want to get off the ground. Strangers, a fear of strangers, I got, I'm, I'm with that. Zombies, I don't understand that. That's irrational. <laughs> All right, we're in fantasy world now. Uh, darkness is on their clowns. All right, I get this one. How many of you are scared of clowns? You're, you have a phobia of clowns. Yeah, they're, 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 all right, so they're weird. Some of them are very freaky. So, um, and then ghosts, again. Uh, that, that's, that's a top 10 list of things people fear. But death's not on here. But death is on here. It is on here. Because why do you have a fear of heights? Because I might fall and die. Why do you have a fear of bugs and snakes and, and those little critters? Because might, they might bite me or I might have a heart attack if I see one. And, and my, my Jordan, I, she'll scream across the house or she'll text us, help! And you and there's a little bitty, little bitty spider in her room, you know? Little bitty thing. And she's all upset about it. Uh, drowning, obviously that's death, right? Uh, uh, flying, because why would you fear flying? Oh, it's going to crash. The plane's going to crash. It's going to crash. I'm going to die. Uh, all this, fear of strangers, yeah, they're going to abduct me and take me off and kill me. So there's these fears that we have, all right? And, and, and um, some of them, here's the thing, all right? Look at, what, look at what Luke 21, you don't have to turn there, but Luke 21 verse 26 says this. Says men, so this is talking about the day I believe that we're in today. And when we, when we look at that and we look at all that's going on, look at one of the things that's going on in this end time. Luke 21, 26 says, Men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. I mean, we're seeing fear right now at, at, in a way I've never in my life seen fear. I'm sure there's been times that this was like, that. I mean, I'm sure, you know, there was a Nazi under every, under every bed and all that during World War II. Those kind of things. There was fear. But the way we have fear today, and it seems like it's not a fear of, you know, of one thing. You, 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 I mean, you hear what our, company, our country leadership is saying? I mean, they're creating fear. Domestic terrorism is our, is our greatest threat to our country today. It is. Now, I'm not trying to get political, but that's about as stupid a statement I've ever heard. So, you know, but that's a politically driven thing. And it's designed, it's devised to create fear. Get you fearful. Uh, you know, because somebody that disagrees with us might go out and protest and win somebody to their side. 
And there's this fear of this. But it's not just that. The COVID, everything with COVID, you watch the news. Don't watch the news, folks. Be smart. Don't watch the news. If you want to get online and find some good sources of truth, do that. But don't watch the news because they're designed to create fear within you. Because they're not going to tell you the truth. They're not going to tell you the whole truth. I mean, if I go to court, i got to put my hand on the Bible. I think they still make you put your hand on the Bible. I, don't, I want to. But they want you to tell the truth, the whole truth, which means they tell everything, and nothing but the truth, which means you don't leave anything out. You don't, you don't add to it. and you don't, you, know, you don't lie about it. You tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You don't add to the story. We're not in that today. There's all this stuff that is designed to create fear. Oh, if you don't wear a mask, you don't wear two masks, you don't wear a whole box of masks, you're going to get COVID and you're going to die. I'm not diminishing COVID. We've lost people that we love dearly that got sick with COVID. But I'm not going to say COVID is is everything they've made it out to be. Half our church has had COVID now. and And we've gotten over it. The lies designed to enslave you to fear. Does that mean, I don't think the party that's in power has enough sense to intentionally do that. I've told you all this from the start. These are spiritual issues. This is spiritual warfare. And this is designed to create fear in your heart. Fear is not of God. He doesn't give us the spirit of fear. If you got fear and fear is driving you and it's enslaving you, you, that's not of God, folks. And you can rationalize it any way you want to. That doesn't change the fact that you become a slave to fear when it is dictating your life. You are a slave to fear. It's not reason. It's not common sense. It's fear. Men's hearts Failing them from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming on the earth. An article I read said, fear of death underlines most of our phobias. And that really goes into the extreme of that. All the phobias you have, it ultimately goes back to a fear of death. And so we'd go, well, I'm not scared of dying, but I'm scared of 18 other things that could all kill me. So, yes, that's a fear. That is a fear of dying, okay? So this article said, death anxiety becomes abnormal when it forms the basis of pathological thoughts and behaviors that interfere with normal living. Many obsessive compulsive hand washers and checkers spend significant amounts of time each day in ritualistic behaviors designed to reduce the threat of dirt, germs, fire, home invasion, or threats to themselves and loved ones. It becomes compulsive. I had a friend that used to, he would leave the house, he'd go back and make sure the stove was off. And leave the house and go back to make sure the stove was off. Now that is not rational. It's It's an obsession. It's a It's become abnormal. Similarly, those with phobias may go to extreme lengths to avoid what they fear and react with extreme distress when confronted with it. Does that sound familiar, folks? It's It's the level of fear that we have in our country today about covid it, it, but but let, let's, go, let's go this thing. I mean, drowning, more kids drown in Florida every year than die from COVID. More people have died in the last, more people died in 20, more children died in 2020 as a result of flu 
than have died in 2020 and 2021 combined from COVID. But yet we're not, you know, we're, 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 we're not throwing a fit about the flu. We're not, in, this is COVID is easy because it's the new thing. And it's bad. A newspaper article or, or one of the magazines said, how fearful should you be of the COVID superbug that there's no cure for? That's what the magazine cover said. How fearful. Not should you be fearful of a possible it doesn't exist, okay? Let me just say that. There is no super COVID that there's, you know, that you, you, you get it, you die. There's no, no medicines that help it. There's no, there is no that. But the magazine doesn't say, should you fear something like that happening? It says, how fearful should you be? They're telling you how afraid you should be. This is where we're getting to. So similarly, those with phobias may go to extreme lengths to avoid what they fear. Extreme lengths to avoid what they fear and react with extreme distress when confronted with it. With these thoughts and behaviors lead to uh, impaired functioning, anxiety is no longer considered normal. Folks, if we, if we find ourselves in that situation, number one, most of these are spiritual issues. You get things right with God. You get your, you turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his beautiful, wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We get our eyes on Jesus. It fixes a whole lot of stuff. Now, if that doesn't, there, you may need to get some help. And I encourage you, if there's somebody, somebody out here, somebody listening, somebody sitting here that's going, man, I just can't function because of this fear. It's got me. Get some help. Go, go further. I, I, I'm not advocating going to some psychiatrist. Or, there, there, but there's something. You need to find out what's going on because it's not normal. First thing is quit talking about faith and start having faith. Amen. Okay? That, that's what we talked about last week. So we, we've got a lot of these issues that are being brought on by COVID. we got kids. 25% of our children now are suffering with extreme anxiety and, and, and uh, depression. Oh, but let's stick a mask on their face all day long and tell them if you don't wear it, you're going to die. You talk about you talk about instilling fear. See children who who they they forget their mask and they panic. Oh, oh, I don't have my mask, and the mask is so filthy. If you check the germs on it, I mean, there's no telling. Let's let's go breathe through a nasty old hose. You know, it's but this is what we're doing as a society to our kids. Forcing it, and then listen. I'm not. I'm, I have no problem if you want to wear a mask. I've said it. People wear masks here. I, I have no problem with that. And if a place asks me, I go in. I'm going to do business with a place, and they want me to wear a mask. I'll respectfully put a mask on, unless they're going to be jerks about it. And then I'll take my business elsewhere. I won't be a jerk in return. I just take my business elsewhere. But I'm not going to instill fear in my kids and brainwash my kids. And scar my kids over a mask. So there's an article out there I read this week that talked about religious belief. Listen, it says religious belief actually increases these fears. Now you got to read the whole article. 
Because it, the, when you read the first part of it, it basically says if you have more religion than, say, an atheist. An atheist, a lot of, a lot of people who don't have faith or don't have religion, don't, they, don't, they don't fear death. A lot of them don't. A lot of them do. If they understand there's a heaven and a hell, and we all do, I believe that. You, you consciously make those choices of what I'm going to believe in that. But it says if you have more faith uh, or more religion, more religion, you get more fearful. And it's kind of counterintuitive. But when you read the article more, what you find out is people who are very strong in their faith have less fear of death. It's the people who have moderate faith or, or moderate, I'm not even going to say faith, and they have moderate religion. Okay, so the, the article went on to say what may actually be happening there is it's putting the chicken before the bird or something where it's actually people who have fear of death, so they're looking for something to give them peace and comfort about that. I have a fear of death, so I'm going to pursue, I'm going to, I'm going to go get a membership at First Baptist Geneva because then, then maybe I'm going to go to heaven and I don't have to worry about death so much. But the fact is, if you're just moderately, if you have moderate faith, you're going to be very fearful of death because you know the truth and you're not living the truth. You know that there's a heaven and a hell. You know you're going to answer. And, and if you don't have a personal walk with God, when the time comes and you leave this life and go into eternity, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, you're going to go to hell. And you're going to spend all eternity in hell. You should fear death. You should absolutely fear death. The problem is there are people who have never really come into a saving faith time with Christ. They've never come into that real relationship with Christ. But they understand there's a hell. There, there's judgment to follow. And so it does not help them with their fear. In fact, it increases fear. So it makes sense, right? Fire insurance. That, that's what that would be. You ever heard that term? If somebody comes, they come to church because they want fire insurance. I joined a church because I want fire insurance. I'm getting baptized because I want fire insurance. They don't want to go to hell. That's not how you get out of hell. It's, a, it's only through Christ, only through a personal relationship with Christ. I'm just going to tell y'all, I'm not going to preach forever. I love what Trish told me this morning. She said, it used to be that there were clocks on the steeple. They used to put clocks on the steeple so people would know what time to get to church. They wouldn't be late. You know what we do now? We put a clock on the back wall so the preacher don't go late. That's what we do. And that was a great point. It's true, and it's a great point. It's where we've gotten to in America. Instead of, we show up when we want to. We don't worry about what time we get there. We show up when we want to. But preacher, you better not go over. You better not go late. Now, y'all never, I've never, y'all might grumble amongst yourselves, but nobody has ever come to me and said, preacher, I wish you'd wrap that up quicker. <laughs> I mean, could you not say what you said? Just say it quicker, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, listen, I talk a whole lot faster than I used to. Spending six years in Indiana, I talk faster than I used to. So uh, before I went to Indiana, I was a little hick. So uh, y'all can, can be thankful. I talk a whole lot quicker now. Man, we'd be here at like 1.30. So I know we're not going to get through all this, but that's why we're going probably two weeks, maybe three on this type topic because there's a lot. I was telling Raymond yesterday, I had 20-something pages of notes. I'm like, how do you boil that down and put it in a message? So we're going to put it in several messages. So let's look at some things here. Number one, we'll look at this first, is, is the reasons we fear death. So what are the reasons? So I started asking people. I did some reading on this. and There's, there's a lot of reasons, but I listed some that here are pretty common. Um, some people just don't like change. <laughs> that sounds ridiculous, 
But there are people who wouldn't move out of a, 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 a run-down, single-wide trailer that had holes in the roof and the floor because they just don't want change. You could have them a brand-new house, and it'd be like, no, nah, I don't know if I'm going to like I don't know. You know, they don't like change. Some of you in here don't like change, right? I mean, your, your bedroom is set up the same way it's been forever. You don't ever move it. If Gina's back didn't hurt, my house, I'd never know if I was in the right house or not because I'd come home and the couch would be somewhere else. <laughs> Maybe that's why she got tr trouble with her back now because she was always moving stuff around. She's not scared of change in that way, but moving from Georgia to Indiana took some faith because she, there was some fear of change there. But there are people that fear change. There's also fear of the unknown. Now, here's where... This lack of faith comes in, lack of real relationship, because you start talking about fear of the unknown. Well, I, you know, I ain't never been to heaven, but I'm going to tell you, I want to go. I'll get on. I used to go. I'm ready to go. I want to go. I don't want to get on the train tonight, but I'm ready to get on the train tonight. Don't, listen, if God allows me to get hit by a truck, I, I promise you I didn't step out in front of it. But if he allows me to get hit by a truck and I go off into eternity tomorrow, I hope y'all grieve a little bit, but rejoice for me. Because I, I didn't, my life didn't end right there. I'm with the Lord. Okay? So I'm good. I'm good. So I don't, I don't know what's out there. Yeah, I don't know what's out there either. But look what 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 9, chapter, chapter 2 verse 9 says this. But as, uh, but as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the hearts of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now, I think that verse speaks to things here. We don't know what all he's prepared for us in this life, but it certainly speaks to things to come for eternity. We don't know yet what he has prepared for us, but he's good. He's God. He's great. God is good. God is great. He's always great. He's always good. He's prepared great things for us. I mean, I don't know what it's going to be, but it'll be better than Disney World, I promise you. I mean, that is a step above hell, right? Right above hell is Disney World. But... But for some people, they love to go. But there's this, you know, I have not seen, the ears not heard. Uh, we don't know what's there, but we know it's going to be great what God has done. The Lord said, I go and I prepare a place for you. You know, I don't know if he, you know, he went back into glory and snapped his fingers or spoke a word and boom, it was done. Or for the last 2,000 years, he's been preparing a place for us. But it's going to be glorious. And while I don't, you know, I've never been to, trying to think of somewhere really nice, Hawaii. Okay, I've never been to Hawaii. But I'm not going to go, I don't know if I would go or not. I mean, I don't know what it would be like. I, I, I mean, I like it. They tell me it's paradise, but I haven't seen it, so I don't know. I don't know if I want to go. I mean, that's what we do, and that's a stupid little old example that doesn't even compare when you're talking about the glories of, of heaven, of eternity, of presence with God. But there are folks who are scared of death because they're scared of the unknown. Well, I know what I got here. Or, and there's some that are scared of death because they're scared of the process of dying. You know, how am I going to die? I was talking about that earlier. You know, if, if, I, if I got a choice... I, well, Raymond and I talked about this yesterday. Vester, Vester Smith, right? Vester died. He died with a Louis L'Amour uh, uh, novel on his chest. I think Fred found him. When, and, and he's just as peaceful. That's how I want to go. That's how I want to go. And even reading the Louis L'Amour, that would be okay. 
that would be all right. Bible would be better, but man, just that's the way you want to go, right? So we fear, well, we fear, well, you know, cancer. Okay, God's going to walk through with you. He may heal you of it, but he's going to walk through the fire with you, and he's going to take you safely to the other side if you're a child of his. So we don't have to fear, we don't have to fear the way we die, and, and we don't even have to feel the process, however it is we die, because God's going to go with us. I mean, I'm sure Stephen didn't sign up to go, you know, I want to be stoned to death. That that's just sounds like a wonderful way to go. But it doesn't seem like he was whining about it even in the process. God gave him dying grace. Amen? Amen. And we've never, none of us have been through that. How do, how do we know that God in that time doesn't just take our hand and say, and he just turns everything off and all we see is him? read a story this week about a lady who had struggled with faith for years and later in life she came to faith and then she got cancer and, and God really spoke to her heart said, I'm going to be with you through this. It's going to be hard but I'm going to be with you every step of the way. And it was hard and she suffered for years but on her deathbed the story was as she held her son's hand, she told her son she said, I see Jesus. I see his face. He gave her grace in that time. Why do we fear that? As a child of God, he doesn't abandon us. He never leaves us, never forsakes us. Amen? Amen. He doesn't abandon us. He's going to walk right through it with us. Uh, next one, love of this world. That's why a lot of people don't want to die. That, uh, 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 Jeff Bezos, I've thrown that name out. Uh, I think I talked about that this morning, Bezos. Um, you know, I, I, they were talking about identifying. I said, all right, I want to identify as Jeff Bezos. I want to get in his bank account. I want to, you know, when a guy can go build a rocket and fly to space just because he, he wants to, it'd be like me going and buying a go-kart, you know. I just want to ride a go-kart for a weekend. Let's go buy one. And that's what he's doing. It, 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 even probably go-kart costs me more in comparison than what that cost him. But he's got all this money. A guy wants to live forever because he's got a love for this world and the things in this world. But we struggle with that too, you know, because I, I, and I remember if you're younger, you younger people out there are going, I get it, preacher. I mean, I get it. You know, I want to see this. I, I want to experience that. I remember younger, and, and bottom line was, eh, not as deep in my faith as a young man, but I, I wanted to get married. I, I, wanted, I wanted to enjoy marriage. I wanted to have a wife. I wanted to have children. I wanted to watch my children grow up. I wanted grandchildren. Any of y'all want grandchildren? I do in time. I do in time. Jordan, slow down, girl. Um, but we want to experience certain things. I want to watch my kids grow up and see my grandkids. I want, I want more time with this or, or with that person. I want more time with that. Or, or it's a, a, it's a, but, but bottom line, it comes down to this. There's a love we have for this world. And if our affection is more for this world than it is for the eternal, for being in God's presence, we're, never, we're not going to want to die. We're going to want to hold on to what we have here because we, what we know is here, again, I, I know what I have here. I like this. I don't want change because I'm not sure what that's going to be like. We might be standing around singing Kumbaya all day, and I'm not really crazy about that. You will be if that's what we do. <laughs> you will. You'll love it. 
You will. That's right. If that's what God has for us, we're going to love it. Whatever it is, it's going to be incredible. There's another one that's uh, it's, it's really selfishness. And, and this is more when it comes to fear of someone else's death, not necessarily my own. But, you know, we fear, we fear so many times someone else. How many times have we prayed people out of heaven? We pray and pray and pray and pray, pray for their healing. I read a, I read a, a text message for someone in Georgia that's, that's sick, and I hope they don't hear this. But I asked Gina about it, and I said, that sounds a whole lot like this world just can't make it without them. And what reality is, that spouse really can't make it without them. And there's a lack of trust that God has a plan, and his plan is perfect. And if his plan is for me to die this afternoon, that's a good plan. We just can't see it because we're not looking at it from the right perspective. Now, does it hurt? Sure it hurts. I mean, we're human, but Christ understands our hurt. God understands our hurt. The Holy Spirit understands our hurt. And there's compassion in that. But the selfishness is, I want them in my life. Do you hear the problems in that sentence? I and my. It's the me, me, me's. Me, 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 me. Because everything's about me. It's the wrong perspective. It's all about me. And, and, and we'll talk more, probably talk next week. We won't get to it today. But about God's perspective of this. Um, another is control. Raymond, this, you, you gave me this one yesterday talking about this, how people control. We want to control things. Um, you know, I, I, I leave and I go to Tajikistan and I'm like, ah, oh, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm not there to take care of Gina. I'm not there to protect the kids. What a joke. You realize I can't really do a whole lot to protect them if I'm sitting in the living room with them. Amen? I mean, if, if somebody comes in to do harm and they get in and whatever, I mean, I can only do so much to protect them. Why is it all of a sudden I think I'm better than God? I'm more powerful than God. God's in control. And if something happens to me, he'll take care of her. Probably bring her some good-looking rich man. <laughs> she married for love. Next time, be for, for looks and money, right? So you can't marry again. No, that's not true. But we, we, we want control. We want, we want to be in control because I can do this. Don't be looking at the clock. I'm just telling you, if I get into point two, we're going to be here a while. And I got three points on my, in my thing today. All right, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. I can always stop. Here's where we're at. Sorry. So um, the biggest reason that we fear death, though, is this. It's a lack of understanding about death. That's why we fear it, because there's a lack of understanding about it. There's a lack of focus on the eternal, and there's a lack of proper perspective. And so, all this has been introduction. All this is introduction. And we're going to get in over the next couple of weeks and look at the right perspective, seeing it from God's perspective, seeing it from the eternal, and having an understanding of death, okay? That's, that's what we're going to do. All right, number two. We're going to go to number two. Y'all have good breakfast? All right, all right, here we go. Number two, misconceptions about death and the Lord. 
Because we have misconceptions about death. We have misconceptions about the Lord concerning death. So we go back to the disciples last week and the disciples in the boat going, Carest thou not that we perish? That's a wrong reading. Lord, you don't even care. You're back there asleep where we're about to die here. Lord, you don't care about us at all. We go there. That's where we go in our, in our lives. And, and so right there, the, the, there's a storm. But we're dying. That's where they're at. We're dying. We do that. We, we, we get a bad, we get a call from the doctor. Hey, I need to, you know, we had those tests last week. I need to see you in my office next week. You know where we go? I'm dying. I'm dying. I got cancer. It's already eating me up. I know I can feel it in my toes today. My toe hurts today. And, I know, and we go there. That's what we do. It's our, Lord, why, why would you let me get cancer? And the doctor sees you and says, hey, everything's clear. I just want to see you in person. I want to let you know in person. Everything's great. Well, doc, you could have done that over the phone. But we worry about these things. We go there. We go negative and we question God. And so I want you to turn in John chapter 11. Now, it's, it's interesting because we've been in John chapter 11 a bit. I've preached funerals from this recently. Uh, pa- Pastor Aaron, I know, was, was in part of this just a few weeks ago when, uh, when I was out. But John chapter 11, uh, we're going to walk through this chapter and we're going to look at the misconceptions about death because we see a lot about the Lord. We see a lot about people's understanding here. Let's just walk through this this morning. And when we get done with this, then we're going to wrap up the, the, this morning. So John 11 verse 1 says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and his sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wrapped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So you see the situation. Lazarus is sick. And there he set the tone, set the, the background here. And look at verse 3. It says, Therefore the sisters, Mary and Martha, sent to him, sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. So he sent a messenger up to the Lord. He's, he's at least a couple of days away from what we'll, we can gather that from, from the text here. He's at least two days away. So when Jesus heard that, he said, now here's what he said. He said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So they send a messenger and it, it's apparent here, doesn't it's not... Just points out he sent back the message. But look, there was a messenger sent to the Lord. It just seems apparent to me that he replied to their message and sent them back. Do you see that? And Jesus heard it and he said, this sickness is not unto death. So he's told them, he's told Mary and Martha, this sickness is not unto death. But why? Why is this? But for the glory of God. He's given why? So there was a purpose to Lazarus' sickness, and we're going to find ultimately to his death as well. We're going to see that. But, but it was for Christ's glory. It was for God's glory. It was that God would be glorified, that Christ would be glorified. That's the purpose, that he would receive glory. You know, everything in our life should be about that. Amen? Whether we eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Everything we do should be for His glory, not for mine. And, and so, but, but you can see in the passage there's even more to, the, to His purpose because the purpose He had was to grow the disciples' faith. If you jump to verse 15, you see that. He says, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, uh, that I was not there, that you may believe. He wants to grow their faith. He wants them to, to see and to understand and to really come to a point of faith. They still weren't there. If you see that all that they had been through, all the experience, they still were not there in their faith. They still had not come to that place. He wants to grow their faith. He wants to grow Mary and Martha's faith, that faith and, and perhaps Lazarus's faith as well. I had to think about that a little bit. I mean, Lazarus, we're going to find out Lazarus dies. 
I don't know that he had it, it was any more faith. He wasn't walking by faith even when he came back. He had seen it. It was no more, it was no more looking through a glass dimly. I mean, he saw it. He was, he was there. Um, but he's growing Mary and Martha's faith and then growing the faith of the others that were present, that were standing around, and we'll see that. And even for us today, this story wasn't just for them. What God's doing here through Christ, it wasn't just for them. This is for us to learn as well. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and his sister, uh, uh, her sister and Lazarus. All right, so here's where we want to go. The Lord, does the Lord really love us? Does the Lord really love us? So what he says right here, the Lord loved Martha and the Lord loved Mary and the Lord loved Lazarus. Jesus loved them. And, and again, you know, when things don't go our way, we, we, we sometimes question God and, and people will question God's love for them. Well, God, I thought you loved me. Why would you let this happen to me if you love me? I mean, that's, the, that's where we go with this question is, why God? I thought you loved me. Look, he loves you. If you don't hear anything else this morning, hear this. God loves you. And, and there can never be a question about that again. He sent his son Jesus who died on a cross for your sin. There is no greater love. He loved you and once for all he showed that at Calvary. So today get that nailed down in your mind and in your heart that God loves me. And so whatever happens in life, see it through that pr perspective that God loves me. Amen? Amen? He loves me. Verse 6, so, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Jesus didn't run off to stop his death. He didn't fret. He didn't wring his hands. He continued what he was doing for two days. He didn't get the word and go, oh, man, guys, pack up, load up everything. We got to hit the road because Lazarus is sick. I got to get there so I can heal him real quick. You know, because I can't do it from here, right? I, I could heal the centurion's son from a distance. Didn't even go to his house and I healed him. But I can't heal Lazarus from here. No, he didn't fret. He didn't do any of that. He sends the messenger back. He says, eh, this isn't unto death. This is for God's glory and for the Son of God to be glorified. That's why this is. And he waits two more days. He just hangs out. And the disciples got to be wondering, hmm, this is strange. You know, I thought he loved Lazarus. You know what? That's the question they might have had. We don't see it in Scripture. But they might have had the same question that we have. Well, well, why didn't you do something? If you love him, why didn't you do something? They Maybe that's, they're questioning that. Verse 7, then after this, he said to the disciples, let us, go to, 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 let us go to Judea again. And we're going to skip down to verse 11. And after that, he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then the disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. And they thought, well, he's asleep. He's sleeping. He's resting. He's getting better. You know, Lord, why would we make this long trip now? And the, however, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Verse 14, then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. They got the message two days ago, Lazarus is sick. And it really was a plea for Lord, come. Come here and because you love us, come here and do what we want you to do and come here so Lazarus doesn't die. And the disciples see, well, you love Lazarus. Why wouldn't you go heal him? All this, you see, can you see the, you got to read it in color. You can, you can see the human nature and the things they would be thinking. Now, while the Lord wasn't there with Lazarus in person, 
Jesus knew what was going on. He knew everything that was going on. His eye is ever on us, folks. It's ever on us. He knows every detail of what is going on in our lives. Amen. Amen. Scott, when you're going through all that stuff and you're in the hospital and one day things are good and the next day you got it, man, they got to poke you again and drain off your lungs. He was there. He knew it. He knew it before you knew it. He knew what was going on. He knew all that. And, and he's watching. And, you know, we're so, we're so apt to go, well, if he loved us, why did you let this happen? Why weren't you here? He's always there. He's always there. He knows what's going on in our lives. Verse 15. And again, this is where he says, And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. He wants to grow their faith. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. So he waited two days. Now when he gets there, he finds that he's been dead for four days. So, so it, it was either a four-day travel. He died that day when they left, or he died there by the time he got the message. Somewhere in there, it's somewhere between four and six days from the time this starts. So they were anywhere from two to four days' journey. Now, we, we know they were, they were a good ways away, and the train, the high-speed bullet train, didn't go that way, so they had to walk. And we, we know it was a long way. But they get there and they find that he's already been dead. He's already been in the tomb for four days. Now, they didn't keep the body out for a week and have wakes and funeral services and all that. He died. They would have put him in the tomb. So we know that it was four days that, that he died, and now he's in the tomb four days. Now, now Bethany was near uh, Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women uh, around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Verse 21, then Mary said to Jesus, so Mary, uh, uh, Martha, goes, uh, Martha goes out, and Martha said to Jesus, so Martha goes out to the Lord. She goes out there, and this is what she says to the Lord. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. What an interesting statement. There's a lot in that. Now we're going to jump to verse 32 because we go out and we see when Mary goes out to see the Lord, it's the same. She, they've been talking about it. It, wa it wasn't like they both just had this. Coincidentally, they had the same thought. They've been thinking about this. They've been talking about it. And they've been telling each other, you know, if the Lord had been here, he wouldn't have died. The Lord had been here. Where was the Lord? Why didn't, why didn't the Lord come? We sent message. Why didn't he come? He could have got here in time. We sent that message two days later. And that Lazarus died. He could have easily gotten here in time, but he didn't get here in time. Where was the Lord? Why wasn't he? And so Mary goes out. And she came to the Lord to, to, to where Jesus was and saw him. She fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You know, they doubt his love. They're doubting his love right here in these statements, and they're, and they're questioning his concern and his care. Where were you, Lord? Lazarus died. Where were you? You, you, you weren't here. He died. You abandoned us. You didn't come. You didn't care. Why weren't you here for me? Why weren't you here for us? Why weren't you here for Lazarus? Because he died. Folks, we do the same thing. I'm going to say this, and sometimes I'm, I, you have to be careful what you say because people take it the wrong way and they go, oh, that sounded callous. But let me just say this. Rob Jackson's death and Florence Van Epp's deaths were not tragic. 
while I, I hate it, it was not tragic. Because tragic implies God had no say in this. And he didn't have a plan in this. It implies we know better than God knows, and God should have done this, and he didn't. Now, it may be tragic from a personal standpoint of, uh, you know, for Claire, and she's lost Rob for Bill. He's lost Florence for us. We've lost dear friends. I, I was telling someone, I mean, I went through my text messages and, and, and went through all my messages. I still had text messages from both of them. And I texted a lot with them while they were sick. And I just went back and was reading those. And, you know, it makes a tear come up in your eye. And I found a voicemail from Rob, and it was a typical Rob voicemail. And so I did make sure I wasn't going to lose it. I mean, I emailed it to myself, so I've got the sound bite. I'm going to keep that so I can, I can hear that voice, you know. He calls up and says, hey, I know it's short notice, but hey, you want to meet us for, for dinner? We're just going to go over to so-and-so. You want to meet us for dinner? And, you know, I mean, it's Rob. It's, what, it's just that's what Rob would do. But, folks, that, that's not tragic because God is in control of that. He didn't abandon Rob and Florence in the, in the ICU. Oh, wait, they got, you know what, I got to put a mask on. I'm not wearing a mask, so I'm not going in there. They won't let me in or I'd have gone in and saved them. No, the Lord was right there with them the whole time. He never left them. He never forsook them. God had a plan. And his plan is good and it's right. But we don't see it from God's perspective. We see it from ours. So we see the question they have. And again, they go, they and we, you know, we minimize God's power because we say, if you had been here, Lord, you, you weren't here. You obviously weren't here because if you had been here, right here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. But you weren't here. You were there. Since you were there, you couldn't do anything about what's going on here. Because if you were here, see what, see it? And they're limiting his power. Not, they're not limiting his power. They're, they're, they're diminished in their own thinking of his power. Their understanding of his power. But, but here's also what they said. Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. But since you weren't here, it's too late now. You can't do anything about it now because you weren't here. If you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. But you weren't here, so he died. And it's too late now because he's already died. It's what we do. Verse 22, but even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, and this is a response to Martha, your brother will rise again. Now, the Lord already said this, this, this sickness isn't unto death. And they're, they're, they're going, now, if, they didn't question that. They didn't even hear that. Whatever went on with that when they got the message, because they don't go when he gets there, Lord, you said this wasn't unto death. We believe that. They didn't say that. They come and go, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. But he died. But the Lord now says for the second time, tells them, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So, you know, he sent the message, this sickness is not unto death. She doubted him or she didn't believe him or she didn't understand him. But, but he clearly says right here a second time, he will rise again. And she goes, yeah. Yeah, I know, I know he will, you know, later on, uh, but, but it's out of your hands now, though. That's really the response. 
And then we get this here in verse 25 and verse 26. What a beautiful statement here of, of faith and salvation, what it means, understanding this. Jesus says to her right here, I am the resurrection and the life. You're talking about he's going to be resurrected. You know, he's going to rise again in the resurrection. Jesus says, listen, listen, Martha. I am the resurrection. I'm not a way to the resurrection. I'm not just a source of the resurrection. I'm not just someone who can bring the resurrection. He said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Jesus didn't say, I'm a way to eternal life. He said, I am life. I am resurrection. I am life. And he says, he who believes in me, though he may die. I ain't talking about a physical death here. Though he may die, he shall live. Amen. What a great verse and a great promise. If, 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 if you're alive today and you believe in Jesus Unless the Lord comes back and raptures us home, we're all going to die. You understand that? Everybody in here, we have a date with death. Unless the Lord raptures us out of here, we're going to die. But he says, he who believes in me, he who has put his faith in me, he who has trusted me, he who has been born again and become a child of God, though he may die physically, he'll live. That's what he said. Verse 26, and whoever lives, that's us today, folks and believes in me, shall never die. Amen. And Jesus asks a very pointed question here. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? I've twice told you that he will rise, that he, he, this, this isn't unto death, this sickness isn't unto death, and that he will rise. Do you believe this? Do you believe that he will live again? Do you believe that he will rise from the dead? And see, that's the real question. Do we really believe this? Or do we believe when we die, we don't know what's there? Well, I say I believe in eternal life, but I don't know if I really believe. Look, do we really believe that if we put our faith in Christ, we will live? Because with that comes life. There is no death. We simply, look, what is, what is this physical death? It is simply the shadow of death, folks. It's not a real death. I'll get more into that later. We'll talk, we'll talk a little bit in depth on that. We've heard his word. We talked about this last week. We've heard his word. We've seen his works. And we've beheld his wonder. But the question still remains, do we really believe what Jesus has said? Now look at verse 27. She said to him, Lord, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has is, who is come into the world. Now, she's acknowledging there. She's saying, okay, I I, you're Messiah. You're Messiah. You're the, you're the Christ. You're the Son of God. And when she had said these things, she went her way. It's amazing to me. She's acknowledging him as Messiah, as the Son of God, and she just simply walks away. And then she goes and calls Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher. I think there's, some, there's, there's something to that right there. It's like me saying, he's God Almighty, uh, but you know, here's Jesus. He's, you know, he's a Sunday school teacher. There seems to be a conflict in what she says she believes and what maybe she really, really believes at this point. She said, the teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. 
Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, uh, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary uh, came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We just talked about that. Verse 33. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping. Now look, look, look at this word right here. It says, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. He groaned in the spirit and was troubled. That troubled implies almost like a shaking. It was, there was almost a shaking, a physical, but he groaned in his spirit. And that groan means this. It means um, it, was, it was a groan of indignation. The, the idea would be like a horse snorting. You're, you're, you're about, y'all, hey, this is Geneva. What am I asking? Y'all, y'all have heard horses snort. You know, you, you get a horse mad, and, you know, they blow out, and they're, they're ticked. You know, there's, there's, a, there's an indignation there. It says that he groaned in his spirit. He saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, and he groaned. He had indignation with that. It's interesting. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. And he said, where have you laid him? Yeah, He's asking, where's he buried? Let's go. So they go. They said to him, Lord, come and see. Now listen to what John Phillips says about this right here. He says, nowhere in the Bible is the deity of Christ more in evidence than in this story. Nowhere is the humanity, uh, his humanity more in evidence. He was going to a tomb. So was everyone else. Not just to the tomb of Lazarus. All were on their way to their own tomb. Sooner or later, the tomb would claim them all. They were all on the way to the tomb because of their sins. He was on the way to the tomb for the same reason, their sins. He had no sin, so the tomb had no claim upon him. But he was on the way to the tomb just the same, to open its grim portals forever for himself and for all who believed in him. And it's just pointing there that Jesus is going to the tomb. All those people are walking to the tomb, and, it, and it's a picture of what's going to happen. They were going to see where Lazarus was laid. They were all going to be in that tomb one day. And, and they were slaves to sin. And Jesus said, I'm going to the tomb too, but I'm not going for my sin. I'm going for your sin. Folks, he went to the cross for our sin. He went to the tomb for our sin. He won victory over death, hell, sin, and the grave. He won those victories. He did that for us, folks. And verse 35 says, Jesus wept. Now, I'm not the smartest guy. I read a lot of guys, and and I read, and and I ask different people. Pastor Aaron and I talked about this, and I actually called a friend of mine in Georgia and said, hey, what do you think on this? And, and so when you, when you read that verse, Jesus wept, for me, it, it, it's, it's easy to say, well, Jesus, you know, he, he just was so compassionate. He felt their pain. He understood the pain of Mary and Martha and those others that were crying. And so Jesus wept. And I find it interesting that I don't, find, I don't see Jesus weep when John the Baptist is beheaded. I don't see He doesn't weep for that. He didn't weep for the disciples of John the Baptist there. He, he, he knew Lazarus was dead. He didn't stop and weep and go, oh, man, Lazarus died. Oh, man. And we don't see that. 
So I, I started questioning and, and wondering, why did Jesus weep? Now, I'm not saying that he didn't weep for them. And it could be very well that in, in, in his compassion and his love for them, he saw their hurt and he wept for them in their hurt right then. I, I think that's very possible. I don't, if that's it, I don't think that's all there was to it. But I think that could be a part of it. Second thing could be this. Um, let me say this. It, w- it would be strange that he's weeping for Mary and Martha because here in about 40 seconds, Lazarus is going to walk out of a tomb alive. I mean, I would be giddy instead of weeping. I'd be like, y'all crying. <laughs> Watch this. This is going to be good. You ever, you ever surprise somebody at a birthday party or something like that? You know, you're like, man, I can't wait till they open this present. It's going to be so good. He's, he's like, man, y'all cry. Y'all cry because you're about to see. You're about to see something. He's fixing to raise Lazarus from the dead, the joy that's going to be. So I don't know. I'm not saying that all those commentators are wrong because they're smarter than I am. But I got some other thoughts here. He might have wept, though, for Lazarus. Lazarus is in paradise, literally. He's now been four days in paradise. Now, I hope somebody told him on that side what was going to happen. I hope they gave him a little warning because he's in paradise and all of a sudden, boom, he's gone and he's, and he's wrapped up going, now here's the, the claustrophobia kicks in. He's going, oh, whoa, what is this? So I hope they gave him some warning and they probably did. But the Lord knew he's fixing to raise Lazarus from the dead. He's fixing to pull him back. Maybe he wept because of the effects of sin on mankind and death and their you know, that. But I, here, here's what I really think it was. I think it was because of their lack of faith and understanding. I think he was grieved by that. And, and, he, and he had indignation, indignation right there because I have told y'all, you have watched me, you have heard me, and you still don't believe. I think he was filled with, I think the indignation was their lack of faith. I think he wept over their lack of faith. And so the Lord, then he, he speaks and and. and I'm going to wrap, wrap up with this right here because we see that again, that Jesus, he groaned in himself. And it was when they asked the question, when the people who were around, the Jews who were around, they said this, they said, see how he loved him? Verse 37, and some of them said, come, uh, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? There's a, there's a question they're asking and it's a, it's a lack of faith question. John Phillips, again, here's what he says. He says, there it is, out in the open at last. The question the atheist, the agnostic, the unbeliever always asks in the end. Why does an an omnipotent God, if he is a good God, allow suffering, sorrow, injustice, pain, and death? If he is all-powerful, then he is not good. For if he is good, then he is not all-powerful. Otherwise, he would intervene. That is more or less the position adopted by these Jews who, it seems, had hurried to join this expedition to the dead man's tomb. Surely he could have prevented this death, so why didn't he, they asked. That's the question so many ask, because they were asking from the wrong perspective. Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. He told them, remove the stone. They said, Lord, you want to do that? He stinks. He's been there four days. Surely he stinks. He's telling them to take the stone away, and they still don't get it. Folks, we don't have to fear death. Amen. 
Jesus right here is going to call Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus is going to get up. And he's going to walk out. He's going to hop out because he got him all wound up. But then they're going to go and they're going to release him. He says, release him, set him free. He has victory over death. He has the keys of death and the grave and hell. We don't have to fear death. And we're going to talk more about that. So this is really today was like introduction. But the fact is, what we see right there, we don't have to fear death. Christ is in control. He's in control of this. And we're going to look at multiple things that are going to help us have the right perspective about death and understanding that. And we'll look at that next week. Pastor Aaron, if if y'all come. I appreciate your patience. If you want me to, I'll go 